So last week, as was just mentioned, Andrew taught on faith. And last week, he used the Old Testament book of Isaiah to teach about that. And today, we're going to continue in the book of Isaiah, but like was mentioned, we get to talk about hope. And what's interesting that these first two weeks talk about faith and hope, because so many times throughout Scripture, these two words show up together. And in a lot of ways, we maybe even use them to mean the same thing. But in our culture, hope can oftentimes be misused. Like Jenny was saying, whether it's the garbage or whether we hope we win the lottery, even though most of us probably don't even play. I hope I get what I want for Christmas. It's kind of this flailing desire or this hope or wish. And as I was talking to Matt the other day, as I often do on weeks that I have to teach, he was saying, you know, one of the, one of the things that we often miss when we say hope is the confidence. And he's like, I hope that the Chicago Cubs win the World Series next year. I said, that is not hope, that is ignorance. <laughs> there is difference. And I'm a Cubs fan, so I'm not picking on anybody. But faith and hope are complementary. In many ways, faith is grounded in the reality of the past. And our hope is looking for the reality of the future. Our faith is grounded in the past and hope is based on the future. Our biblical hope, our biblical hope is not just a mere wish that implies a little bit, even a little bit of doubt. It is confidently expecting that something will happen and patiently waiting with joy and with peace. John Piper put it this way, Christian hope is a confidence that something will come to pass because God has promised it will come to pass. Let me say that again. Hope is a confidence that something will happen. It will come to pass because God promised that it will come to pass. Another way of saying the same thing is hope is looking expectantly towards the future based on our faith in God in the present because of what he's been faithful for in the past. And friends, here's the other reality with hope. We all need it. Whether our pride lets us admit it or not, we all need hope. Because hope is powerful, right? Even Jesus tells us that we will have trials in our life. We will have hardships. But our hope is what keeps us moving forward. Hope gives us joy and peace in the midst of our deepest sorrow our despair, our pain. Hope is being able to see that there's light even in the midst of the darkness that surrounds us. So let's take a look at how Isaiah shares light in the darkness or talks about hope. So I'm going to read through Isaiah 8, 19 through 9, 7. Sounds like a lot, but it's not. And then we'll go back and we'll kind of digest this a little bit. When someone, talks, or when someone tells you to consult mediums and spiritists who whisper and mutter, mutter should a, not a people inquire their God? Why consult the dead on behalf of the living? Consult God's instruction and the testimony of warning. 
If anyone does not speak according to this word, they have no light of dawn. Distressed and hungry, they will roam through the land. When they are famished, they will become enraged. And looking upward, they will curse their king and their God. Then they will look toward the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom. And they will be thrust into utter darkness. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom in those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulon and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee and the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoiced at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle, every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. So there is a lot in there. So let's get to it. So in Isaiah 8, 19, when someone tells you to consult mediums and spiritists who whisper and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Why consult the dead on behalf of the living? Consult God's instruction, his testimony of warning. If anyone does not speak according to this word, there is no light of dawn. Our hope only comes from the Lord and from his word. As much as we try, we can't find that hope in other people, in other idols, and it tells us what happens when we look for our hope somewhere else. In verse 21, distressed and hungry, they will roam through the land. When they are famished, they will become enraged. Looking upward will curse their king and their God. Then they will look toward the earth and see only distress, darkness, fearful gloom. And they will be thrust into utter darkness. When we don't keep our focus on the Lord, when we look for our hope and our faith in something else, it says we will be thrust into utter darkness. Doesn't sound like a lot of fun. But the good news is, is when chapter 9 starts, this is where the but comes in. Nevertheless, nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulon, in the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. So I'm going to call a time out here and explain a little bit what this is talking about. Most of you probably not familiar with the term Zebulon and Naphtali. 
So to put it into context a little bit, these two areas of land, these were people, they were two of the 12 sons of Jacob, right? So in Israel, the 12 tribes, they had land named for them. So this land, Zebulon and Naphtali, were part of the northern kingdom. And if you can use your imagination with me here for a minute, I'll try to explain this. So if you can imagine the pulpit and the wreath, this is the, this is the Sea of Galilee, okay? And the center aisle will be the Jordan River. The Jordan River is where John the Baptist did so much ministry, preparing and pointing the way for Jesus. So then out by the water fountain, that'll be the Dead Sea. And over here, we have the desert, the Arabian Desert. And then clear over by this wall, we have the Mediterranean Sea. And then that'll make the sound booth, we'll call that Jerusalem. So that means in this area of the stage, this would be Zebulon and Naphtali. Does that make sense? Sea of Galilee, Dead Sea, Jordan River, Desert Sea, Jerusalem. Zebulon and Naphtali. We got it? Okay, don't everybody agree at once. All right. So the, the problem with that is God, throughout the Old Testament, used different nations to kind of punish the Israelites in some ways for their rebellion against him. The problem with Zebulon and Naphtali is most of those nations came from this direction, right? They don't want to go through the desert. They don't want to be around you people. That's a joke. And they certainly don't want to go by sea. So they continually, time and time and time again, come through Zebulon and Naphtali, eventually making it and conquering Jerusalem. So these people that lived in this land were constantly being attacked, constantly living in destruction and chaos. These people were left just kind of crying out to God, like, where are you? Why are we always being picked on? Are you not strong enough, God, to overcome this? Why can't our lives just be back to normal? Has anybody ever asked that question about their own lives? But nevertheless, nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulon and Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. Another translation of that same verse. There will be a time in the future when Galilee of the Gentiles, which lies along the road that runs between the Jordan and the sea, will be filled with glory. And then he goes on to explain it even more. In verse 2. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living, Zebulon and Naphtali, those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. And what's fascinating is if you skip ahead to to the Gospel of Matthew, and we pick it up in in chapter 4, the first thing it talks about in chapter 4 is how Jesus goes in and is tempted for 40 days and 40 nights by the devil. He had his own struggles. Jesus had his own darkness. But as he comes out of that test and that trial, we see this exact thing talked about. 
It says Jesus went to Capernaum, which is in this area of Zebulon and Naphtali, to fulfill the prophecy of Isaiah. In Matthew 4, 15 and 16, land of Zebulon, land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. And then what? The very next verse, verse 17. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. So they're living in this land of darkness without hope. And to them, a light has appeared that will always overrun the darkness. Jesus, the light of the world, the hope of all the world, showed up and started doing what only Jesus could do. Verse 3, you have enlarged the nation, you have increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. They rejoice as people who have been through the hard times. Right? Harvest, like being a farmer is not easy. Right? They have sacrificed, they have planted, they have tended to the crops, they have harvested. The soldiers have been through battle, they have been tested. And through God's faithfulness, they have come out on the other side and they rejoice because he is faithful. And in verse 4, for the days of Midian's defeat, and if any of you remember this story of Midian, it's a great story about putting your hope in God. So the Israelites are being crushed in about every way imaginable by the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appears to Gideon. And he says, Gideon, you will defeat the Midianites. And as you read through it, Gideon's like, yeah, I believe that. Prove it. So God proves it. And he says, okay, I get it. But can you, can you prove it again? So God does. And then a third time, oh, God, I, I get it. We can do this. Can you prove it to me one more time? And God does. And then he shows up. Gideon shows up with 32,000 men ready to go to battle. And God says, Gideon, you don't need them all. Put more hope in me than in, the, in your men. So thousands leave. And God says, listen, Gideon, you still have too many. So he sends more home. And towards the end of this story, Gideon's left with 300. Started with 32,000. Ends up with 300, and Gideon and another one sneak down to the camp of the Midianites, and he hears them talking about a dream. And as he listens, he realizes, like, I have put my hope in the right place. God is going to be faithful in this. They blow the trumpet, the Midianites turn on themselves, and they're defeated. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across the backs, the rod of the oppressor, Every warrior's boot used in battle, every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning. You don't need the things to fight your own fight. God has already won. They will be fuel for the fire. And then we get to verse 6. It's a very simple verse, but I love it because it just speaks volumes. Our hope lies in this. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. The government will be on his shoulders, 
and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. These are amazing descriptions of who Jesus is. A child is born. This tells us about Jesus and his humanity. Right? He was fully man. He was born of a woman just like you and I. To us, a son is given. This describes Jesus' deity. Right? It's kind of hard to think about and wrap your brain around, but Jesus existed before he was born. The only person I know of that existed before he was born. He was God before and he was God after. To us, a son is given. And we see it again, right, in a verse that almost the whole world knows. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. The government will be on his shoulders. This speaks of the sovereignty of who Jesus is. He made the world. He's coming to live in the world. And our hope is in that someday he's coming back to rule over it. He's described as wonderful counselor. He's exceptional. He is distinguished. He is without peer. He is the one who gives perfect advice. Mighty God. Right? He was fully human, but he is God himself. Everlasting Father. He was the same then as he is today, and he will be forever. He is timeless. Prince of Peace. He will rule. His government is one of justice and of righteousness and of peace. And it explains that again in verse 7. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing it and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. That is our hope. And if you look at the last line when you think, how did all this happen? The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. With zeal, with great energy, with enthusiasm. This is what Jesus wants to do. Our hope is a confidence that something will come to pass because God has promised it will come to pass. And we see in Scripture that hope, our hope in the Lord, is one of the great virtues, right? Faith, hope, and love. Hope, as the Bible describes it, changes the way that we see ourselves. Hope, the way the Bible describes it, changes the way we see our situations. It changes what we value. It changes what we do with our life, with our time and our talents and our treasures. Our hope gives us joy and peace, protection. Our hope gives us strength and courage and boldness. Our hope in the Lord gives us an endurance and a comfort and a confidence. And when we talk about faith and we talk about hope, there's probably some in the room that love talking about that. Because you are in a season of your life where your faith and your hope have never been stronger and you want to rejoice. And rejoice you should. 
But it's also interesting, and studies will show this, that in this season we're in, this Advent season, or the holiday season as we call it, this is one of the hardest times of the year for many people. We're supposed to be putting our faith and our hope and our joy in looking at the coming Messiah. But we often get lost in so much of what the world throws at us, right? We get busy. We get places we got to go. We got people we have to see. There's food to cook. There's presents to buy. There's all of these things that just keep us busy. And this season is the hardest for many people. Whether it's the stress of trying to get all that done. Whether it's being alone. Whether it's the memory of a loved one. And there's probably a few of us that are maybe trying to live in both of those realities. Like our faith and our hope are good. But this season is so hard. And if you feel like one of those people in Zebulon or Naphtali, and life is just simply beating you up, friends, don't lose hope. Don't lose track of your hope. Don't lose your faith. And whether you have just a dark place, a small dark place in your life, or whether you're like these people and felt like darkness is just completely surrounding you. Jesus, the light of the world, like these candles represent, always defeats the darkness. Our faith and our hope in the light of the world will sustain you. Our faith and our hope is in the creator of the heavens and the earth, the one that said, let there be light. Our faith and our hope are in the one who created you wonderfully and beautifully in his image. And he said, it is very good. Our faith and our hope are in the one who came as an innocent child and they called Emmanuel, God with us. Our faith and our hope is in the one who lived the sinless life. In the one who was crucified for the sins of the world. Our faith and our hope is in the one who took what we deserve so we can receive what he deserves. Our faith and our hope are in the one who was buried, dead, buried, and yet rose again, defeating death once and for all. Our faith and our hope is in the one who ascended to heaven where he sits at the right hand of the Father, interceding on our behalf. Our faith and our hope is in the one seated on the throne, ruling with justice and righteousness. Our faith and our hope is in the one who sent the Holy Spirit to live in you and through you. Our faith and our hope is in the one who says, I have prepared a place just for you. Our faith and our hope is in the one who promises to come back to judge the living and the dead. Our faith and our hope is in the one who promises to come back and make all things right. That things should work the way they should. Our faith and our hope is in the one who is the same yesterday as he is today and will be tomorrow and for eternity. Our faith and our hope is in the one that we worship here today. 
And our faith and our hope is in the one we will get to worship forever. For all eternity, singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. That is where our hope comes from. Isaiah spoke of the hope of the coming Savior. And we have faith and we have hope. We have faith because Jesus did come. He did do all the things that were prophesied about him. And our hope is he is coming again to make all things right. And friends, one of the best ways to express or rejoice in our faith and hope is worship. It's also, worship is also one of the ways, best ways to restore our hope. I had a friend tell me this week that in the midst of the ministry that they're in, they just felt the spiritual attack. Like they recognized it, they knew what it was, and it just kept coming. And they said they were all alone. So what they did is they just turned on the worship music and they could feel it lift. Their faith was strength. Their hope was restored. Psalm 42 says it like this. Why, my soul, are you so downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him my Savior, and my God. Let's pray. So God, we come to you this morning. We all bring our own baggage. We all bring our own worries, our own fears, our own anxieties. But Father, you just keep bringing love. You keep bringing forgiveness. And so we we confess that there are times where our hope and our faith, the darkness is so real, it's all we can do to try to focus on hope and faith in the midst of the darkness. But just like these candles defeated the darkness of the room. Lord, you, can, you promise us that the victory is already won. The darkness has no say in our lives. As G, with Jesus is our Lord and Savior. So Jesus, we cry out this morning. If there is any place in our hearts that is lacking of hope, of faith, as we worship you, Would you restore that within us? As we worship you, we pray that it would be pleasing to you. And we worship you not just by words on a screen or words we may have memorized. We worship you that you would receive all the glory, honor, and praise for your love and your faithfulness. We worship you because our hope is in you and you are worthy of all praise.
come Holy Spirit.